We're in the book of Hebrews. We've been some eight-ish weeks in Hebrews. And so to catch you up contextually, um, the whole point of the book is persevere. To keep persevering. Um, and, and persevere by considering Christ. How great He is. How excellent He is. He's, he's, he's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all these things we've looked at. He's greater than the law. He's going to go on to say more lofty things about the majesty of Christ as we go through the book of Hebrews. And the point is, Christ is our only, he's our only Savior. He's the only thing that has an effect. Um, everything else is fleeting. If I was to reach into my pocket right now and pull out a knife, I didn't. Like a lot of you are like, you're nutty enough to do that. Um, but he's kind of like a knife. You know, if, if I pulled it out, some of you in this room would get nervous. Number one, because of the guy holding it. But number two, just because of the knife itself, you, you know its power. You, you, you would have that nervous effect. And then some others, some of you that are twisted in this room, would kind of lean forward and go, ooh, cool, what are we about to see here? Something's about to go down. But nonetheless, it would have an effect. And, and that's been the point of the book of Hebrews, is Christ has an effect. You can't ignore Him. You can't just cast Him to the side. Consider Him. He's excellent. Um, that is the contextual tie-in to today's verses, which could seem strangely out of order if you're not careful. So all that to say, we go through books of the Bible, we've been journeying. Christ is better than angels, He's better than the law, He's better than Moses, He's better than all these things. Consider Him, and then today He's going to say He's as sharp as a knife. So that's where we're going to head today. As you're standing, the Word of God for the people of God, it'll be on the screen. This is our text today. So thus far, the book of Hebrews, strive to enter God's rest through Christ alone. Not an angel, not Moses, not law. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from His sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. I'm going to pray, and then we'll contemplate the text together. Well, Jesus, now that we've read the text aloud and we've understood the context, I I do pray that we'll be able to contemplate these words on on a great level today. So Jesus, would you be gracious? Would you be gracious to show not life hacks, how we can live better, be better, do better, whatever, but would you be gracious just to show yourself the majestic one that we need for all of life and all of godliness. So Jesus, make yourself famous amongst us, and it is in your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go, church. I'm going to admit to you up front that today's passage really is an OCD preacher's paradise. Um, It just lays itself out very simply. We've been through some passages in Hebrews that are quite complex, haven't we? And you had to wrestle through and chew through and dive through and wade through and contextualize and overview. Today's text, man, it is not one of those. 
It is simple. Um, and, and you'll see that as we kind of flesh its simplicity out, but also its complexity. Um, so, with that said, maybe to, to start us off, it's, it's kind of become hip in today's culture, or, or maybe somewhat of a fad to say these words. I believe in Jesus, um, and, and I want to get to the real Jesus. You've probably heard somebody say that. I'm going to deconstruct everything I've ever thought of in religion or religiosity, and I just want to get to the real Jesus. And to do so, I've got to ignore all of Scripture. Maybe you've heard somebody say this. I want the real Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the Bible. You know. Uh, so, so today, we're going to kind of look at that. Is that even possible? Uh, Rob Bell, in, in his newest book that he has written, that's literally called What is the Bible? That's his whole point of the entire book. It is, you know, Jesus is a cool guy, but you can't trust a lick of Scripture. Right? And so it's this weird contrast, and it's kind of become hip and, and fad to go there. Uh, well, does that line up with the text? Sadly, this is, this is the sad part. Sadly, there have been four families throughout... The, the life cycle of, of Safe Haven Church that I can remember that hit that very point and have now walked out of the church. And I'm not saying the church is in Safe Haven. I'm talking about Christianity at, at all. Just abandon the faith. And it always begins with, man, I love Jesus, but I don't know about the Word. I don't know about the Scripture. And that's that slow. But, and, and if you're headed there in your heart... I tell you this out of love, man, you are on a dangerous, dangerous, slippery slope. If you feel that rising up in you, this need to deconstruct, consider Jesus through His Word. I'll push you back to His Word. Uh, we've seen it happen, and it's, it's a sad state of affairs. It usually ends really bad. But it's really this, it's, it's people who love, maybe we could say the Beatitudes. You all know the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, blessed are the meek, the humble, the poor in spirit. And, and so people will say, I love that. Man, I love this humanitarian Jesus. But when Jesus begins to proclaim exclusive, intolerant truth, harsh truth like this, I came not to bring peace, but a sword to divide mother and son and father and daughter and to create a division. People go, well, I don't, mm. Give me... The goody-goody, sugar-sweet, sugar-smack Jesus. But the harsh Jesus, I don't know about that Jesus. Right? And this is the contrast. I see people smiling because you've encountered this, right? Maybe in your own heart. But you've encountered it with people. This is where this this text is definitely going to speak to that. Um, So so Jesus is not about just these humanitarian principles. Um, He's the Word. And He's the Word how. So that's as far as I really need to go on that rabbit trail. <laughs> but other than that, I just want to say this. At Safe Haven, you can rest assured, we will never, ever back down from the inerrancy and sufficiency of God's Word as the Word of God. Ever. It is what it is. It says what it says. Both in Word and flesh and word in script. So what is the word in this text? It begins with, for the word of God is. Well, what is that? Uh, There's no endless debate over what that is. 
Commentators will go different ways. Well, the word here literally means John 1, the word. The, the word became flesh. The word of God is Christ himself. And then other commentators will go, yes, I, but it's also the word script, the, the pen book that we have, the canon of scripture that we have. I'm, I'm not going to enter into that debate. I don't even think there's a need to enter into that debate because the word made flesh and the word made script is the word of God together and they never contradict one another. They are simultaneously one. So let's begin journeying through this text in beautiful format as the writer of Hebrews has given us, he or she, whoever it was, has given us. For the Word of God is. So it's impossible to have Christ here without God's Word, and it's also impossible to have God's Word without having Christ. They they go seamlessly together. Charles Spurgeon When you don't really know how to handle a text, you just quote Spurgeon and let him handle it for you. I love the way that Spurgeon looks at this verse. He says, Christ rides throughout the world in the chariot of His Word. You can't separate the two, the flesh and the script. They are one simultaneously. And so the text is now going to unpack... Consider Jesus, this word, this living word, and this also this script word. I don't think that's implausible at all for seven reasons. So let's just see how majestic and vivid the word is throughout this text. Number one, he says, he's living. The word of God's living. It breathes. It responds. It speaks. It's unlike any other book. You've never read Moby Dick and found yourself in a state of repentance. Like it doesn't do that. You're like, cool, big fish, okay. But the word is living. It does something different. The greatest of the sports illustrated columns that you've ever read about the greatest athlete that's ever lived never did anything within you. It may have stirred you too much. That's fun. But it never it didn't change you. The word is living. I heard a guy say this one time, and I think it's great. It may be a little bit hokey for some of you, but we'll go there anyway. If maybe you need a hokey poke this morning. I don't even know what that is. Okay. <clears throat> he said this. He said, he said, I believe that the Bible is so alive that if you were to take a knife and cut it, that spiritually speaking, it would pulse with living blood. Now, I thought that was pretty cool imagery. That's it's just It's different than just words on a page. It's it's alive, this writer tells us. It it does things. To the unbelieving person, it makes them more mute and more deaf. And that's exactly what the Scripture says. So maybe you just said, Troy, did I hear you right? Did you just say that the Word of God makes unbelievers in their sin more mute and more deaf? Well, I didn't say it. That's what Jesus said. You remember Jesus said this, Matthew 13, I speak in parables so the unbelieving won't see and hear but won't understand. Now obviously in this, he's he's, he's talking about these people who are so bought up in their religiosity that they... All my works will get me there. That person who goes, forget you, Jesus. Forget your message of substitutionary grace. Forget, I I don't want to hear any of that. I'm going to work, 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 work 
to that person, the Word of God says, hey, look, your works are heaping up on you more and more judgment. So I speak to you in a parable. The parable is this. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the seed that's planted. If you don't believe this, you're going to grow harder and harder of hearing that. Now, the Word of God also to the unbeliever makes them come to life. That's the strange thing about the Word of God. It it gets implanted in the seed in an unbeliever's heart. And to some, it just births life. To the one who's been working their tail off going, man, if I give enough, if I strive enough, if I go on enough mission trips, if I labor enough, if I do this, I'll finally earn it. And then the Word of God, the seed of the substitutionary work of Christ, gets planted in some people and they go, hold on a second... And it begins to grow roots all throughout their soul. And they start realizing their works will never be enough. And it's only Jesus that can satisfy. And all of a sudden it bursts forth in life. And that unbeliever repents, confesses, believes. And in that moment they come to life, not only now but forevermore. It's it's living. The Word is that alive. So it changes things. And then to the believing... It continues to give life-giving oxygen to dead bodies. (laughs) Ephesians, I can't think of a greater passage. Ephesians 2 says it this, that we were made alive with Christ even when we were dead in our trespasses. The living word does things still alive. Many of you guys may have heard the the illustration of, of salvation being like a life like a life raft, right? And and, um, the gospel is thrown out to you and then it's your job to to grab on to the life raft. And if you choose to grab on, then you'll be saved. And I don't think Scripture paints salvation like that at all. It says this, that we're what in our sins? You you can say it loud at Safe Haven. Say it loud. We're dead. Dead people can't grab on to the life raft. The beauty of the living Word of God is that before Christ in your unbelief, we're dead at the bottom of the ocean. There is no oxygen. There's nothing. And the beauty of the living Word of God is that He reaches down, grabs us, drags us up to the top, takes His breath, breathes life into us, pumps our chest, our spiritual heart begins beating, and all of a sudden He makes us come to life both eternally and forevermore. So anytime we read the Word as a believer, it's just another breath of oxygen in our lungs, isn't it? It's why when you wake up to read the Word, and you've read that passage 7,000 times, and you read it again on that morning of March the 16th, and all of a sudden you go, ha, that's new. Have you ever had that happen to you before? You go, I've... I've never seen that before. And you've read that passage a billion times. Why? Because it's not a dead book. It's alive. It's living. It's doing things. It's breathing life into you as a believer. So he says the Word of God is living and it's also active. Number two, it's active. It grabs you. It shakes you. It moves you. It hugs you. It produces an effect. It's doing something. We're going going to do a little experiment. And it involves knives in my pocket. No. We're going to do something. Okay? To see how living and active the Word of God is. I could could grab Shakespeare. And I could begin to read some Shakespeare before you. In Old English, nonetheless. And some people go, okay, okay. 
And then other people kind of nod off, like some of you are doing right now, taking a nap. Uh, and, and, and it just kind of, uh, fun prose. Watch what happens when you read the Word. I'm going to read a passage, Galatians chapter 5. I can't think of a, a better passage to illustrate this. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read it aloud. I'm just going to ask you to listen to these words. This is what Galatians has to say. Let's see if this passage walks around the room. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Holy Spirit... You're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. I warn you about these things as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience. Kindness. Goodness. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Self-control. And against all those things, guys, there is no law. And those in this room who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified your flesh with its passions and its desires, and you've moved to the life in the Spirit. As I read those words aloud, did it bounce around the room in your hearts in different ways? It did, didn't it? It's active. That's the crazy thing about the Scripture. Like, I don't have to give any commentary whatsoever on what we just read. All you have to do is lob the word out there and it bounced around this room in the deep corners of your own hearts in different ways. Whatever pew, we don't have pews, whatever chair you're sitting in, wherever you sit, all I did was lob those words in the air and right now... Every single body, every single person that hit them in a different way. That's the power of the scriptures. It's living, it's active, it's just different than any other book. It's God's word, not our comments on God's words that save souls. It's just God's words. That's the power of it. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two edged sword. The passage goes on to say. I think there's at least three things we could say about a two-edged sword. One is this. The Scriptures being a two-edged sword, number one, it cuts like a lumberjack, doesn't it? The Scripture has that power to cut you down to size swiftly. Has anybody ever walked into you know, a devotional study and, and you were like, Hey, Jesus, I'm here for the goody gumdrops. And all of a sudden you walk away with a busted up nose. <laughs> You're like, whoa, I didn't expect that. Well, that's part of the sword, is it cuts us down to size. It, it, it hits us at our pride. It hits us in our evil. It, it grabs our shoulders and it spins us around. 
It just, <laughs> you've done this with your kids, right? You know, your kids were headed to the street or something and you grab their shoulders and spin them around and move them this way. That's the power of the Scripture. And if you're maybe a little bit sadistic, maybe you hypothetically got your kids when they were young to just start spinning in circles to see how long they could stand up till they fell down in, in a safe environment. I mean, you, in this hypothetical story, you at least guarded your fireplace. You put some pillows there and all that kind of stuff. Some of you guys did this, right? The Scripture has the ability to do that to us, to just spin us, to, to get us, whoa, where am I at? Who am I? What am I doing? It's alive. It's, it has that ability. It's that sharp. It's the power of the Scripture. But not only does it cut like a lumberjack, it also cuts flip side of the sword, side two, like a surgeon. It, 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 it heals us. It does the good work. Not only just cuts us down to size, but it, it trims us, it prunes us, it, 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 it helps us grow. It, it cuts off the tumors, doesn't it? It shaves them for our good, those calloused areas of our hearts. It, it, it heals us. It's therapy. I don't think that's a bad thing to say. The Scripture is more therapeutic, and praise the Lord for our therapists who are not Scripture, but are actual people, but praise the Lord more for the Scriptures who, who, who bring us life and godliness. It has that power. It cuts bolts that have you trapped into sin's cages. It cuts those cords that Satan has wrapped us up in bondage. It slices them. It does the good work. It cuts us down, but it also releases those shackles. And then the third thing I would say is both sides together. I, I, I think maybe the writer is saying something like this in good old North Portian. It just kind of cuts this away and that away. That's why it's two-edged. It just, it just cuts. It just does its work. No matter where it's at, it's always going to do something. Anytime the Word of the Lord is lobbed out, it's doing something. And it's so sharp that sometimes it cuts you, and you don't even know it's cut you until about a week later. Anybody been there? Like you've, you've read a devotional, and you're like, oh, that doesn't seem like you're in, I don't know, Chronicles. Like you're in Chronicles, right? And then all of a sudden, you're like, oh, that was, that was a waste of time. Praise your Lord for Chronicles, okay? And then you walk away and a week later something comes up and it brings your mind back to Chronicles. You're like, I never knew. I never knew chronicling people could have brought me life. It just, it just, it's different. It's active. It's cutting this away and that away. Every single word I think right the writer is saying about whether it word the flesh or word scripture. I want to keep saying that out loud so you know I'm not trying to divide one or the other. Every word, whether in Leviticus or Jude, is doing something. It's cutting. And then number four. And it's cutting, it's piercing. It's, it's, it's piercing between soul and spirit. Now I want to be really careful. As a matter of fact, I wrote... <laughs> Anytime you want a copy of my manuscript for kicks and giggles, just let me know. I'll shoot it to you. I wrote myself a note in here, be careful, Troy, to not get labeled a heretic. And if you know anything about dichotomy and trichotomy, you know you can go to some crazy town places with this verse right here, all right? And then a lot of you in the room are like, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, 
I don't want to get labeled either one. So what is this passage saying? I think what he's saying is the Word just has the ability to pierce us in the flesh and it also has the ability to pierce us in the Spirit equally. Okay? It pierces our seat of emotions. It has the ability to do that, the fleshly life. It has the ability to cut us in the practical areas of our life. Tomorrow, you're going to do something, right? You're going to head out. It's Monday morning. You're going to do something. The Scripture speaks to earthly tomorrow morning but it also speaks to eternity forevermore. It has the ability to speak to your soul and to your spirit. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. What is the Word? The flesh and the text. Number five, as we're getting close, it also has the ability to pierce between joint and marrow. (laughs) What a fantastic illustration the writer gives. It's almost as if he was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It pierces between joint and marrow. Joints. What do joints do? They hold our bones together so that we're not a bag of bones. Now, we have an anatomy teacher in here, and he may come up to me afterwards and go, "Eh, that's not exactly what they're for. That's okay. For now, this is what they're for, all right? Joints hold our bones together. And so he's saying, listen, we do things, we move, but the Word is what holds you together. It pierces to that level. It pierces to the innermost what's binding you, what is holding your seat of emotions together. The, spirit, the Scriptures speak to that. The, the Word, flesh, speaks to that. But not only what holds you together, he says, the marrow. The bones, they're just a shell. Bones are great. We, we have somebody with a broken bone, and, and I, I'm sorry your bones are broken. But that bone, <laughs> I wish I could fix it. But I don't think you want me to do surgery. That would be really odd. Um, It'd be a bad thing. But the bone, it's just a, it's a shell, and the inside is the marrow. The bone in and of itself does nothing other than hold us upright, okay? That might have been a hyperbole to say they do nothing, but you know what I mean. Inside that bone is marrow. Somebody tell me what marrow produces. Life. Blood. The marrow is what churns life out. And he's saying, listen... The Word is so powerful, it doesn't just speak to this exterior shell. It gets in there to what actually beats your heart. That's how powerful the Word is. There's nothing like it, church. Nothing like it. He goes to simply say, the Scripture is going deeper when you study it. The word flesh man is going deeper when you consider him more deeper than you could ever dream or imagine to what is really within you. That's the power of the word. It's number six. So much so that it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. External motions can be deceiving, can't they? How somebody acts on the outside can be totally deceiving of what's really true in the heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says it this way, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. The Scripture discloses the purposes of our hearts. How horrifying is that? That's a scary thought. That's a lofty thought that one day... 
every intention of the heart will be laid bare. And, and so we may walk around with a big smile on our face. Hey, how are you? High five. Hugs. You know, man hug, side hug, A-frame. You know, all the things... But deep within, just be hurting. The Scripture can go there. And it does go there every time you crack it open. That's the power of the Word. It discerns the heart in the future, in the present. Preachers, they come and go. Churches... Come and go. Styles, come and go. Music, comes and goes. I mean, next year we may be doing nothing but rap sets up here. I'll be here. Everybody else is bolting, but I'm here, man. When we turn this thing into a Beastie Boy-esque type thing, buddy, church is going to get live, okay? Cultures come and go, but the Word stands forever. You ever thought about that? Entire civilizations die out what has remained constant. The Word. The Word. You can try to bury it under communism, and you know where it will sprout out. And little house churches stuck all over the country that you cannot contain. You can try to chop it up, burn it, whatever. It'll come to life. It's like this, I got this rose bush. If there's anybody in here that is a rose bush killer, I need you to come to my house. We have this little, we, we bought the house and, and right beside our side door, there is a, there's a rose bush. I have put kills all on it. I've hacked it up with a weed eater. I can't tell you how many times. And right now you're like, Troy, you really do have a hard heart. Why are you trying to kill a rose bush? But I, just, I don't know. Um, I have taken my shovel and tried to dig this bad boy up. I did. A couple of years ago, I dug it up and replaced it with more soil. This year, you go to my house right now, walk beside our side door, and that sucker is here's like, hey, Troy, here I am. <laughs> you cannot kill it. Neither can you. The Word made flesh and the Word made script. You can't stop it. It's nothing like it. So, you can ignore it, but it will always have its effect. Number seven. Let's wrap it up, church. And because of all these things... No creature is hidden from his sight. Now that may show you contextually where I think this is headed, whether it's more word flesh or word script, but nonetheless, we'll leave that for you guys to discuss in your small groups. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So if it's that powerful, if it's that powerful, so what? What does that do? How should that impact me? Here's how it should impact, impact us. Number one, my gosh, if it's all these things, we should read it. <laughs> we should read the Scripture. 
We should read about the Word, the God made flesh. We should digest it. We should eat it more than we eat the pot roast that you're going to eat this afternoon. We should devour the Scripture. For what? For counsel, for conviction, for devotion, for academia, for all of life. The Word should mean something to us, church. Not only that, we should embrace it. Not just read it, we should revolve our entire lives around it. What it says do, we do. What it says don't do, we don't do. It, it, it should be the, the pivot point of which all of our life revolves. Ah, yeah. Yeah. If it's that alive, it should have meaning. We should proclaim it. We should leverage it for others' good and God's glory. People say a lot of times, Troy, I don't know what to say to somebody when they need counsel. Okay, number one, neither does anybody else. (laughs) Even the greatest of counselors don't know what to say. But you know what we can give them? That's always true. The Word. We can point them to Jesus and point them to His Scriptures. Always. We should log it. What do I mean by log it? We should journal it. I think there's a beauty to journaling Scripture. And today's world has made this super easy. For all of the things that digital, social media, whatever, have have got us a little off kilter, man, there's some cool things about it too. Um, Every morning, many people in this room, and I love it, I love getting on social media in the morning to see what verses you guys are studying. I love it. Because there's a lot of people in society that have begun to use digital media as their journaling system. Now, there can be a warning there, and it can definitely become pride and all that kind of stuff. I get that, and that's for your own heart to decide. But man, one of the beautiful things about social media is you can track where you've studied Scripture and what you've studied all year long, and it's permanent. So that your great-grandkids one day will be able to look back and go, this is what Paul Paul T-Pop was studying in 2022. And we'll understand the life-giving power of the Scripture in a way historically like we've never understood historically before. I don't know what my grandpa studied. I don't have a clue. But one day through digital media, it's a great way to log the Scriptures where you're studying or maybe it's journaling for you. Tyler's a journal. Kobe's a journal. He's a a book writer. This kind of stuff. Log it. If it's that alive, log it. And let it feed your soul on repeat. And then defend it. And be careful here. The Scripture defends itself. So let's not get that. We don't have to defend Scripture. But by gosh, if it is all these things, you should never be ashamed of the Word of God. Ever. Don't you ever back down. Never. This is the Word of God. This is what it says. I lean myself here because it... And then somebody goes, I don't know about that. That sounds a little sketchy. And then you go, I am not my own arbiter of truth. I don't get to say, I feel like this or I don't feel like or that or that seems harsh or that seems too cuddly. I just go, this is the Word of God. And I don't get to trump it. We defend it boldly if it's these things. And then finally... We reverence it. We reverence it. If it's all these things, church, the Scripture cannot be used like an air freshener to sit in the front of your car only to just kind of ride around and smell like leather. We reverence it. The Word of God cannot be just another trinket on your bookshelf. 
kind of collects dust. Can't be that. If it's this alive, if it's this active, man, we reverence it. It's not a flippant copy of Moby Dick. It's just not. We reverence it. And so, I'm going to end with just a little life lesson as the band comes back up. It just could not be more fitting. As I've chewed through this, we we knew that this was going to be a... As we outlined the book of Hebrews, we knew... And you knew, because you guys have the devotional guys that we handed you out. Y'all know where we're headed in the text. That's the cool thing about Save Avenue. Y'all know what's going on. We knew this would be a little subset sermonette. Because you kind of, kind of explain it, or it can feel very weird in the text. And as I've been chewing it and contemplating, I was like, God, how does... Like, I get it. Consider Jesus. Persevere. Hang on to the Word. The Word flesh. The Word script. Hang on. It's your life, yes. But Lord... What does this mean other than just for me? And then I went to the gym this week. And he came up to me once again. For those of you who, who go to the gym, you know, sometimes there's, there's all kind of people in the gym. It is a, just a hodgepodge of all kind of life. <laughs> it is, has its own subcultures and all kind of things going on. You got your screamers, you got your quiet people, you got your flexors, you got your people who barely want to be seen, you got your, you, there's just everybody, it's just all kind of people. Well, in my gym, there's a Mr. Doug. I probably should have changed his name. <laughs> Strike that. His name is Dougie. <laughs> there's a Mr. Doug. Mr. Doug came up to me this week as he does every single time I go in and I see him. He's, he's in his 80s. And every single time I'm in there, he's, he's coming up to me as he does everybody in there. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have every weight in there and you're trying to bench press it. He is coming up to talk to you, okay? He is, and he's not there to support you. He's not there to help. <laughs> We're there to have combo. You know, Mr. Doug? Yeah. He comes up here. And he walks up to me. And for however long we've been going there, every single time, he says, Hey, Troy, let me tell you what I saw in Scripture this week. Every single And then my rotten heart. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you know this. I'm like, I'm a preacher. <laughs> um, and how many times I've been like, oh, I, don't, I don't have time for Mr. Doug. I've got to get in there. I've got to, I've got to, and this brother is so enamored with the word that it just oozes. You can't, you can't, you can't plug it up. He has so many holes in him that it's going to ooze it. You can stick a cork in every part of this man's being and somewhere the word is just going to spring out. And I thought, man, do I love the word like Doug loves the word. Who has studied this for 80 years and every day finds something new and 
life-giving. If we don't get anything else from this text, by gosh, let's be Doug's who love the word like that. Let's pray together. Lord, God, I just don't know if I've been clear enough. I, but then again, it's, it's not up to me. It's the word. It's this battle going on in my head. Thank you that your spirit is sufficient. That as we have proclaimed the living, active word, that it's producing something and you're doing something. You're bouncing around the room. You're penetrating my heart. You're penetrating other people's hearts. Jesus, that we would love you, the word made flesh, be enamored by you. And that we would love the chariot of your script word that has been breathed out to proclaim more about you. That's that's my hope, Lord. That everybody in this room will walk out of here and we will pull water from the endless well of God's Word for our refreshment for life now and forevermore. In your precious name we pray. Amen.